Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. This podcast features conversation from the Christian Product Expo International in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. At the CPE event, I had the chance to chat with Nashville Pastor Robert Morgan, bringing insight on experiencing God's presence more deeply. Then you'll be hearing from Karen Whiting, providing encouragement for families to serve Christ together, something she covers in her most recent devotional book. And comedian Carrie Pomeroli, who specializes in clean comedy and is known as Hollywood's God Girl, discusses her approach to comedy and how her faith is integrated into her presentations. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association, or AWSA, had its annual event just a few days before CPE. In fact, its last day was the first day of the Christian Product Expo. AWSA presented its annual Golden Scroll Awards, including a Lifetime Achievement Award to Michael W. Smith, with whom I spoke after that award ceremony. Also at Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the CPE International Event in Tennessee, Craig Bonbuzek of Inspiration Ministries returned to emphasize the reestablishment of the nation of Israel in 1948, the implications of that and how it has meaning for Christians. Then, at the start of football season, it's rather timely that Dell Didway stopped by at CPE to discuss his latest devotional book, consisting of inspiring stories from people who connect football and faith. You'll be hearing some of his comments. Finally, Charles Page is a medical doctor, so he's witnessed firsthand quite a bit of suffering. He offers words of insight and encouragement to those who suffer and provides perspective on courage in the midst of challenges. You'll be hearing from him coming up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast. The Intersection is a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Robert Morgan is the teaching pastor of the Donaldson Fellowship in the Nashville area. He's authored around three dozen books. He's written for David Jeremiah's magazine and is known for his speaking as well. His latest book is entitled Always Near, Ten Ways to Delight in the Closeness of God. From a conversation at the Christian Product Expo International near Nashville, this is one of the speakers at the event, Robert Morgan. We underestimate the closeness, the presence, the nearness of God, how he is with us. And we underestimate how much he wants to be. Do you know, he didn't need to create the human race, but he made Adam and Eve. And it says that he would come down to be with them. He wanted to be with them and to walk with them in the cool of the morning. And then the Lord came down and was with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob on one occasion said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't realize it. And I think that's the situation a lot of us are in. I mean, this happens to be a Sunday when when we're speaking. But a lot of people went to church today and never had the sense that God's presence was actually in that room with them. But he is. He's right here with us. Mm, And mm. it says in Exodus that when they built that tabernacle, God came down to dwell with his people in clouds of fire and clouds of glory. And the same thing happened with the temple. When Solomon dedicated it, God came down to be with his people. The prophet Isaiah quotes the Lord as saying, Fear thou not, for I am with you. The very name of Jesus is God with us. And in the book of Philippians, Paul said, The Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything. And in the book of Revelation, the final two chapters say that, In eternity, God will be with us, and we will be with him, and he will be our God, and we will be his people. The Lord wants us to get up every morning and to say, well, hello there, Lord. You're here with me. 
to get into our car, on our bicycle, or to walk to work or to school, and to say, the Lord is here, and to go through our day aware of the fact that God is walking beside us, and uh, to come home, and, and when we walk up the sidewalk, you, you and the Lord are walking up the sidewalk into your house and relaxing in the evening. And you go to bed and you can say, well, good night, Lord. If you're going to be here with me all night long and stay awake, I might as well go asleep. And so mm. the <laughs> sense of the practice of the presence of God would make such a difference in our lives if we would just cultivate it. So that is the, the, that's the driving message behind my book, Always Near. And as the subtitle of the book suggests, you outline 10 ways to really gain a a greater sense of the presence of God with us. So if you would, please give us a couple of examples of how it is that we can develop a greater realization of God being with us. Well, the starting point is receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, because our sins separate us from God's presence. He is utterly, absolutely, blazingly, blindingly holy and pure, and we are not. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But Jesus came, and you know the story of when he died on the cross and the veil in the temple Mm -hmm. separating the holy of holies from all of the population of Jerusalem and all of the world, that was torn in two, meaning that through the death of Christ we can come right into the presence of God. And so it all begins when we come to know him through Emmanuel, God with us, uh, and we receive Christ as Savior. And then we've got to cultivate the daily habit of Bible study and prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room and close the door and talk to your Father who is in secret. And Every morning, Bob, I'll get up and have my cup of coffee and go to my little desk that I've got in an upstairs room, and I'll have my time alone with God. And he speaks to me as I read through the Bible. Right now I'm reading through Luke, uh, and I may take a chapter or two or maybe just a verse or two. But I say, Lord, speak to me, and I just read. I do some scripture memory work, and then I pray, and I've got my prayer list. You know, everybody does it differently. But we all need that time when we can have the sense of God's presence in a very real way through Bible study and prayer. This is our conversation, our appointment with God. And when I'm seeking to mentor or disciple someone, the first thing I do after establishing where their heart is towards God is to help them develop the practice of a daily devotional period, a daily, when I was growing up, we called it a daily quiet time. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's the most critical aspect of drawing near to God. Robert Morgan here on this edition of The Intersection. His website address is robertjmorgan.com. Next up, it's Karen Whiting, who visited with me at Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2019 CPE International Event in Tennessee. In our conversation, she discussed the devotional book, 52 Weekly Devotions for Families Called to Serve. For that conversation, this is Karen Whiting now. This is something that you have attempted to instill in your family, this whole notion of service. So tell me how it is that you really began to do that. It just started naturally because I grew up in a family that served in a small community in rural Connecticut, dairy farm country. And I married someone who is 
served in the Coast Guard. And, of course, that's a service that's called the peacetime service. They always want to help people. And so we had that heart to help people and naturally brought our children along, having them help make sandwiches for the homeless at the home and take them to deliver them, starting a puppet ministry where we went out to hospitals and many places to perform and bring joy to people that might be hurting. And just in doing those things, we learned that there were so many ways to serve. And we saw our children after Hurricane Andrew where we had tremendous uh, destruction to our own home, serving in Tent City and going down and what they could do, and even doing laundry in our own home when we got power back before a lot of other people did it. All my kids lined up to fold and sort everybody's laundry that we were doing. So that was a natural thing, and I found that that helped them so much. I wanted to help other families realize there are many ways you can choose to serve. And there's also this whole area of showing appreciation for those who are called to serve. As you mentioned, your late husband was in the military and the Coast Guard. There are law enforcement officials. There are first responders. There are so many different people that as a profession, they are involved. And it's important that they receive encouragement. Oh, it is. And the children who are in those families have a different lifestyle. So I like to write and share the stories of what it's like to be in those families, what happens to them. And as a natural uh, outcome from that, people will see them not just as a police officer, law enforcement person, or a firefighter, disaster relief worker, but they'll see they have a family. They have a passion. They care. They don't just do it as a job. They do it because they want to save lives. They want to make a difference. And as people see them as real people, that helps them learn to respect them and honor them. Well, as you began to craft this book, again, it's called 52 Weekly Devotions for Families Called to Serve. Tell me about how you have structured the book. Well, the book has a structure where you start off knowing exactly what the focus is going to be. I do a little family beatitude, followed by the actual week's theme and a scripture for the week. Then there are a choice of three or four hands-on activities to do, because children like to do things, and the more you can involve them, the more they feel part of that, and the more they can integrate the faith into life. Then it's followed by a contemporary story that's based on a real family and what happened to them connected to a Bible story you can look up and read in the Bible with a little question, a little information about that story. Then there are three or four chat questions, prompts where there's a scripture and a question to talk about. You can discuss it at any time. That might flow into your drive in the car, dinner time. It doesn't have to be as you're sitting down doing a formal devotional study. Then there are two more components, really, because there's a prayer, but there's also a scrapbook time that gives you a prompt to start doing a faith scrapbook. All these people are big into saving pictures and mm-hmm. everything and memories, but they forget to save the faith memories. So this will help you connect. What did we learn this week in writing about that and drawing about it? And then for those people who do serve, there's frontline tips. So maybe we talked about deployment and that separation from the family. So those tips would be, how do we bridge that time and distance. Karen Whiting here on The Intersection. Learn more through Karen Whiting, W-H-I-T-I-N-G dot com. Next, it's comedian Carrie Pomeroli. She visited with me at the CPE International event in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. She talked about her involvement in comedy, writing, including screenwriting, and her desire to honor Christ. Here now from that conversation is Carrie Pomeroli. 
I'm currently employed by the Hallmark Channel, so I'm very excited to be writing movies uh, oh. that are clean. Oh, good um, for you. Yes. But I do have with my partner, clearly, a script that's floating around that is a romantic comedy about a single Christian girl. And I hope that we just continue to make more movies that are funny and show the world that we Christians can laugh, too. Whatever happened to the the romantic comedy that you can trust to not be offended by watching? You know what? I was just watching a rom-com with my 11-year-old daughter on DVD the other night, and I had to stop it in the middle of the movie. And I said, Lucy, I can't continue watching this. And it wasn't so much that it was so horrible in your face, you know, all the sexual stuff, but just the way that they glorified the relationships that are not glorifying God and just the way that they were taking the Lord's name in vain. And I was like, Luce, this is grieving the Holy Spirit to even watch this, even though it's funny. It is funny, but we got to take a stand. And that's one of my passions out there in Hollywood is creating good products for families to watch together and that can glorify God at the same time. Well, as an employee of the Hallmark Channel, first of all, I applaud you. Thank My wife you. and I have I'm become, so excited. <laughs> we've become quite big fans of the Hallmark movies. I, I love Hallmark. So why is it that uh, that channel, and then of course movies and mysteries as well, can mm-hmm. be so successful, but yet it seems like that that broadcast TV and, and much of cable is not really, uh, you know, not, not really going there. I have an answer. It's the polarization of media. I feel like back in the day, mom, dad, and the kids would sit around and we would watch happy days or we would watch a show together as a family. But now everybody has an iPad. Everybody has a TV and there's so many choices. So media has gone to niche market. Hallmark is known for a niche market audience, which is clean. And that's what they do. And they do it really well. And so everybody who wants clean or they want wholesome, they go there. So I feel like a lot of the other media is like, well, Hallmark's doing that clean thing. And then the devil has such a focus foothold in Hollywood today and Christians need to stop watching these dirty movies they may not be going to a movie theater and buying a ticket but they're watching it on their TVs and they're still putting money in the pockets of these producers so the producers are like oh we should keep making these dirty movies and these dirty TV mm. shows so I really feel like it's time for us Christians to take a stand in what we believe that we want to see well, we look forward to seeing this film that you referred to earlier, perhaps getting a uh, yeah, producer have, and coming to the big screen. I have two projects at Hallmark. Um, one of them is called Renovate My Heart, and um, Hallmark cranks them out pretty fast. So okay, hopefully no you'll doubt. be seeing it pretty soon. We're excited. That's awesome. Carrie Pomeroli joining us today. It's CPE International Christian Products Expo in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Well, Carrie, let's talk now about just how it is that you have developed what you do. You're known as Hollywood's clean comedian. You're known as Hollywood's God girl or good girl. You, either one. Sure, Kind of interchangeable sure. there. So how is it that that you really saw God opening up doors for you to do what you do. Well, I got dropped off in a minivan in Hollywood from my parents (laughs) from Atlanta, Georgia, when I was 22. And I thought, I'm going to be here. I'm going to marry Matt Damon. I'm going to win an Academy Award. And uh, God was like, that's not exactly the plan. I was going to say, wait, I missed that. I'm right, exactly. me. I missed it too. Uh, And somewhere along the line, when I really was falling more in love with Jesus because I was in a wonderful church, I was being compromised with the scripts that were being offered to me, and I decided I would try stand-up comedy because I felt like that would give me a proactive approach to write clean 
material. And once I tried it, I got the bug. I really felt like it was what God wanted me to do. I have a big mouth. And then the next thing you know, I'm in a church and they're asking me to talk about God. I didn't know I could do comedy in a church. And it's been a roller coaster. I literally quit my day job maybe seven months after starting stand-up comedy and have been doing full-time stand-up comedy and then people like Hollywood Reporter or Showbiz Tonight would call and say, are you willing to go on record as a Christian in Hollywood? I'm like, <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I would get to go on the news and I would get to go do reporting um, and commentary because I guess people are afraid to say that they're they're Christian or something. I think we're cool. But um, so I've just really never been shy about it. And so that's led me to writing opportunities and uh, touring the country. I'm on the road all the time. And I've just loved every minute of it. Carrie Pomeroli here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website, Carrie, K-E-R-R-I, palm.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. And you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You can also find the podcast in the Media Center. It's also available through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible through the Meeting House homepage. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, you can find a link to video content, including recently added content from CPE International, as well as the Getty Music Worship Conference, Sing 2019. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Content from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of other apps. Learn more when you go to the faithradio.org website or the Meeting House homepage. Continuing now, more content from the CPE International event. Just after receiving the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association, Michael W. Smith sat down with me to share about the work of the Lord in the city of Nashville, including the Awaken event and the release of the Awaken, the Surrounded Experience album. From that conversation, this is Michael W. Smith. The Golden Scrolls Ceremony and Special Banquet, sponsored by the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association. And I understand that you had a special moment there during that uh, that event. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I've never been fond of getting awards, so it's like uh, I've... I've I've had a few, and I, I don't need any more, you know, but uh, it was a Lifetime Achievement Award, so I'm, you know, I'm just kind of humbled by the whole thing, you know. So it's like, you know, you just got to learn how to, to receive. And uh, there's a special group of women, and mainly women, but some men in there as well. But, yeah, it was a great, great couple hours. I'm glad to be out here. Well, that is awesome. And you are so involved in not only Christian music have been for so many years, but also you're involved in what I see as a special move of God in Nashville. You did the Live Surrounded album, and you've you've really been involved in trying to bring God's people together. You had the big event at Breadstone. So tell us what you're seeing God do primarily in this whole area of worship that you're very much involved in. Well, I think music is... is uh extremely important i think it's a unifier i think it's i've said over the years many years it's the most powerful universal language in the world and uh you know we use that as a medium to tell god what we think about him and how we love him and all that and um but i felt like the the uh, 
you know, a real need is we're just so divided, you know. I mean, we're divided politically. We've never been more divided ever in this country. And you can attribute that to a lot of different things. Um, I mean, ultimately, I think it's the devil. You know, it's like <laughs> we're, in a war, we're in a pretty big war, you know. And uh, But, you know, but I think it's so important, probably maybe most important things, that the church be unified. And we've not been unified on a lot of fronts. We have on some fronts, but, you know, we have all these different denominations and and people do, people do their thing and they do their thing. And, and I don't feel, I didn't feel like there was a real, like, coming together of leaders. There's been a lot of people who have prayed for that in this city for a long, long time. People way before myself, Don Pinto and Joe Rogers and all those people. But I just really since in my spirit it was just the timing of when surrounded and surrounded and then I had this whole vision to do this thing with at Bridgestone and bring people of all color and bring people of every denomination possible and we did that and I think something happened matter of fact I know something happened that night uh, I still have pastors tell me going we've never seen the church more unified than it is now and I think what happened at Bridgestone that night was a catalyst in that sort of happening. Now, that didn't, has very little to do with me. There were a lot of people praying for that night. We didn't only just worship, but we, we, we sang over the city and we sang over the world. And we, we had, you know, 12, 13 specific prayers that we prayed. So it was real prayer gathering with worship. And it was an amazing night. I mean, it just, it, uh, it like superseded my expectations. You know, part of it, you just can't really put your finger on it. You just know something happened. And I don't, don't think it ever ended, honestly. I think it's still going on. And out of that, you had, I know that there was a television special. You had an album that came out of that. And so this was really a, an opportunity for God's people to come together. You mentioned the devil at work. Well, when, when we worship God, something is set off in the heavenlies. And like you say, there was, uh, this was a catalyst. A, a lot, as you mentioned, has been going on in this city as well as cities across America. So what do you see moving forward with respect, especially with this whole area of racial reconciliation? What do you see God doing there? And how, how can music and worship be part of that? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, obviously, I think worship's a big part of it but i think it's just it's unifying people it's have it's sitting down and having conversations instead of being so um you know so vocal and volatile you know there's been so much you know people just sit let's just sit down and have a conversation you know i've got a song about that on my million lights record it's called conversation let's talk let's sit down and talk whether we agree to disagree let's just talk and I, and I do think that um, the church, I mean, I mean, I'm talking about every denomination. We've, we have more in common than, than not. And I think that's what you have to sort of bullet point to people going, we have more in common than not, guys. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And I think if you can get a church in this country all around the world, but let's say America, that's really unified on those fronts, I think things will shift. I, I really do think things will shift. I really do, and um, and I think I think it can have a tremendous positive outcome on what's going on racially in this country. Michael W. Smith here on the intersection. His website address is michaelwsmith.com. Next up on this edition of the intersection, it's Craig Von Buzik. 
digital content editor for Inspiration Ministries. In our conversation at the Christian Product Expo International in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, he discussed his book, I Am Cyrus, Harry S. Truman and the Rebirth of Israel, dealing with events leading up to the 1948 modern-day reestablishment of the nation of Israel. Here now is Craig Von Buzek. What Harry Truman did is he read books, and he, uh, at one time he said he read every book in the Independence Library, and his favorite was history and biography. So he not only knew who Cyrus was from the biblical side, but he also knew who Cyrus was from the historical side. And where it comes into this picture is that Truman was vitally important in the uh, UN vote in 1947. What had happened is there was all kinds of pressure on Truman. There was pressure from the State Department who did not want Israel to be recognized. The reason was that they were concerned about possible World War III with the Soviet Union, and they wanted to cuddle up with the Arabs and get Arab oil in case there was a war. And so they said, you don't want to make the Arabs mad, don't recognize Israel. And then he, of course, received pressure from the Arabs themselves, especially Ibn Saud, who was the king of Saudi Arabia, the founder and king of Saudi Arabia, who said, you know, if you do this, then we're not going to give you our oil. Well, Harry Truman uh, knew that they wanted to sell oil, and so he wasn't too afraid of that. <laughs> and he ended up being totally right, as we know historically. But then the third place where he was getting a lot of pressure was from the Jews and the Zionists. And unfortunately, a couple of the Zionist leaders were rude to him because of their frustration with what was going on. You know, think about it historically. They had just lost 6 million of their brethren in the Holocaust, mm -hmm. and 1.5 million of the survivors were still in the concentration camps. We forget about that. Hmm. They, they languished there for years in the same prison camps where their brothers and sisters had been killed. And so there was a lot of frustration, a lot of pressure. And finally, Harry Truman said, enough. And he slammed the doors of the White House shut and said, I'm not talking to anybody. Well, the Zionists started to panic because the vote was coming up in the UN on whether or not they would vote for Israel to be a nation again. And they didn't know how Truman was going to vote. And so suddenly someone remembered, oh, Harry Truman has a, uh, his best friend's a Jewish guy. And uh, they had started a clothing, a men's clothing store together. Let's call him. Maybe he can get in. And sure enough, he could. And so his name was Eddie Jacobson. And he got in, talked to Harry Truman. Truman said, I don't want to talk to you about this, Eddie. And was for the first time, he gave Eddie the cold shoulder. And Eddie was, he actually started to weep there sitting in the Oval Office. And he thought, what am I going to say? And finally, he saw a statue of Andrew Jackson over on the table. And he said, you know, Harry, all our lives, you told me about your hero, Andrew Jackson. He said, do you know who my hero is? And Truman was like, no, who's your hero? And Eddie Jacobson said, my hero is Heim Wiseman. And Heim Wiseman was the Ben Franklin of the Zionist movement. He was the one who convinced the British to give the Balfour Declaration during World War I. And he said, Heim Wiseman is an old man. He's sick. He's almost blind. And he's come all the way to America to talk to you. And you won't talk to him because somebody else was rude to you? That doesn't sound like you, Harry. I thought you could take the heat in this place. <laughs> and so Truman turned around, looked out over the White House lawn, tapped his finger on the desk, and then finally turned back and said, OK, set up the meeting. You bleepity bleepity bleep. <laughs> and so uh, they set up the meeting, and they, they snuck Wiseman into the White House because they didn't want the press to see. And hmm. it was in that meeting, Harry Truman later said it was in that meeting that he, he made his decision to support Israel. And so a year after that, and, and by the way, 
he told the people in the UN, you make this happen. And so they went to all these different nations and said, you're going to vote with us. If you don't, you're going to pay the consequences. <laughs> so wow. they put the heat on. Yeah. And the vote went in favor, as we know, uh, for the Jews. So a year after Israel became a nation, the chief rabbi of Israel came to the White House and spoke with Harry Truman. And Harry said, do you know what I did in the rebirth of Israel? And uh, this guy's name was uh, Rabbi Herzog. And he said, yes. He said, you were born for this time just as Cyrus of old. And just as Cyrus of old did what he did to help the Jews and was remembered, you will always be remembered for what you did to help the nation of Israel. And you are a modern-day Cyrus. So fast forward to 1953, Truman gets out of the White House and is invited to speak in New York City at the Jewish Seminary. And Eddie Jacobson, his friend, introduces him and said, here's President Truman who helped with the rebirth of Israel. Everybody clapped. And after they all stopped clapping, Harry stood up and he said to Eddie, what do you mean helped create? He said, I am Cyrus. <laughs> I am Cyrus. And so that's why I named the book I Am Cyrus. Craig Von Buzek here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website Von Buzek. That's B-O-N-B-U-S-E-C-K dot com. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast. More now from Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2019 CPE International event outside Nashville. Author and sports writer Dell Didway discussed the concept of his devotional book, First Down Devotions, Inspiration from NFL's Best. Here now from that conversation is Dell Didway. I include uh, stories from um, Andy Dalton uh, from the quarterback of, of the Bengals. Andy is as is, is solid of the, of the person as you'll ever find. And um, we had we spent a lot of time together. I'll see him this Thursday uh, when the Colts come into town. Uh, we talked to Benjamin Watson, who has mm. come out of retirement now, and uh, which Patriots. Is, he's with he's back with the, he's back with the Patriots, who we won a Super Bowl with, and uh, that that was fun. So uh, Ben, you know, Ben's in there. Um, we were able to spend some time with Anthony Munoz, uh, Chad Pennington, who you know obviously played for. Uh, the Dolphins and, and, and the Jets, and he's from our area as far as Marshall University, where we are close to Marshall. And, and so th- those are some of the guys who are in it. The, the gentleman who wrote the forward, his name's um, William White, uh, played for the Buckeyes, uh, played for Ohio State, went on to enjoy a good career in the NFL, played in the Super Bowl with the Falcons. Um, he wrote the forward. Um, he also is suffering from ALS right now, and there's mm. a chapter uh, about how he's dealing with that. He's a very inspirational man. Uh, so those are some of the men you'll read about and some of their stories. Adam Vinatieri's in here. Uh, like I said, uh, Kirk Cousins. And um, I'm going to have to go back and look through some of these. Vernon Fox as well. Memory lane here. So yes. what, did, what did Kirk have to say? Let's give Kirk Cousins well, some love here. I've uh, always liked Kirk. Kirk, uh, Scott, Scott McCausey, my friend Scott McCausey, actually did those interviews. Uh, he actually interviewed uh, Kirk. I wasn't privy to, to, to be there. I interviewed probably 99% of the people in the book. That was one I did not get personally in, personally uh, get to. I, I did talk to um, um, uh, Gerald McCoy, who, who's a fantastic player. Kurt Warner, I interviewed him up at the Super Bowl. Uh, Tom, Lane, Tom Lane Fear is a chaplain of the Minnesota Vikings. Not a lot of folks know who he is. Uh, Tom Lane Fear has a, a wonderful story to tell about how he helps people, how he helps players throughout the league. Hmm. And throughout, and who are on his team who are struggling. Wow! Who, you know these new kids come in. He, he has a lot of advice for them. 
So when you take these stories, they're part of a devotional. Uh, each of these has mm-hmm. its uh, each of these players has his own devotional in it, and you you actually highlight some principles that people can learn from the mm-hmm. testimony. So share with us what you're what you're doing with that. Yeah, um, this, this book's not about football, so to speak. It's about stories that I talk to about these players who you know they have problems like like you do and I do, but it's how they got through them. So it's not a book about football. It's about football players, well-known football players who have struggles and how they got through them. One uh, really good one I like is when I talk to Chad Pennington. Um, he's got a couple of devotions in here. And I took his story about how he used to love to play football and was very good at it. He wasn't the best in the world, but, you know, he, he was the uh, um, runner-up to the most valuable player award in the NFL one year behind Peyton Manning. He was that good. He had that good of a year where he finished second in, in the MVP voting. Comeback player of the year twice, which is really unusual. So Chad had a good career. And he when he, tra- when he went to Miami, he had a, a difficult time. He was coming back through injuries, and he was benched. And for the last several months of his career, he was benched. He hated football. He hated going to work. hated practice. hated everything about it. So he had a personal struggle with football. He felt like everybody betrayed him. Um, he worked all of his life, and now people turned his back on him. So he called his personal fire that he went through, and he kept asking, questioning God, why am I going through this? <clears throat> so now what he does now for the league is he helps players who have you know, been let go, cut, retired, who are trying to adjust to life after football when the glamour goes away, the light bulbs go away, the flash, the autograph seekers go away, their identity goes away, and how mm, he now wow. helps them because he went through that himself. Dell Didway here on the intersection. Learn more through his website, Dell Didway. That is spelled D U D U I T dot com. Finally, on this edition of the intersection, it's Charles Page, a medical doctor who has written the book, A Spoonful of Courage for the Sick and Suffering Transforming Your Greatest Challenges into Your Biggest Blessings. He shared about some of the principles he has observed from patients from a conversation at CPE International in Tennessee. Here now is Charles Page. First of all, I guess, Bob, I could bore you with a lot of literature that discusses <laughs> the impact of, that faith has on medicine. We kind of chose to do it a little bit differently with the book and really kind of, instead of giving inf- information, giving more inspiration. But, uh, you know, there's studies, like, for example, they studied, I, I believe, 9,000 patients in Iowa, the senior uh, adults, people in their 60s, and they took those who had, had faith and, and practiced their faith, and they compared them to people who didn't. And they found that actually people who were active in their faith and active in uh, spiritual activities such as church, they, they tended to live 12 years longer than the other group. It's pretty amazing to think mm. about that. So as you began to, to see studies like this, and from your own practice and seeing how a person's faith really impacted their their bodies and their health. What are some of the conclusions you drew? Well, I mean, faith faith makes every difference in the world in, in how people and how people do. I mean, I've seen that people who and it doesn't mean that, you know, God always heals when people go through difficult times. But I've noticed that God empowers people to be able to respond to their circumstances in a in a different way. You know, we talk about living above your circumstances instead of living under your circumstances. And I've seen people who've been able to express their faith in the, the most amazing ways. Tell me just a bit about your own personal faith story and how you really integrate your faith into your medical practice. Well, so I became a Christian at 16 years of age. 
uh, I came from a nominal Christian family, and uh, none of my uh, my parents went to college, and so this was a journey. I felt called to be a physician and went through medical school, and then uh, moved back to small town Texas to practice medicine. Um, you know what I've noticed, and it's so neat being in. Uh, in a rural area is that so many people ask me just to pray for them. Hmm. In fact, uh, last week, um, my wife had plans to, for us to go out with some friends and I was running late and I had a consult that I had to go see at the hospital and they wanted me to train, uh, change a trach tube out on a patient. A trach tube is a tube that, that helps people breathe. And she was a sick lady and uh, they were going to have to put her on uh, on a breathing machine that night, and they were worried that they were not going to be able to to you know, to ventilate her. And so I went in, and I was I really had a bad attitude. You know, it's funny. <laughs> no, Bob. not you. you no, know, it's, no. It's, it's, it's funny, Bob. I always thought being a doctor, I was going to do something you know big with my life. And what I realized, I think God really meant it more for my sanctification. So I go through these. So anyway, I had a bad attitude, and the, and the nurses didn't have what I needed. And uh, when I went in to change the trach, uh, you know, of course, this lady was, she was not doing well. And uh, she had, she was a frequent flyer. She was probably in her mm. 40s. And, um, I, you know, I took the trach out and put the new trach in so that she could be put on a breathing machine. And when she finished, I mean, she could barely speak. And she looked up at me and she said, Doctor, would you pray for me? And it just broke my heart, first of all, because I had such a bad attitude uh, to begin with, uh, but I but I prayed for that lady, um, and um, I, I believe I was the last person to ever really, mm. you know, talk to her. Yeah. And just thought about, wow, what an honor that was, uh, and what an a uh, what a divine appointment that was. Um, and here it was I had a bad attitude the whole way, kind of like Jonah in the book of uh, <laughs> in the book of Jonah. You know, God told him to do something, and he had a terrible attitude about it. But so. I see these things every day, and that's what this this work is about. It's just stories of everyday people who have responded, you know, to their life tragedies in in really God-honoring ways. Charles Page here on The Intersection. His website address is charleswpage.com. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more at meetinghouseonline.info or go to faithradio.org and visit the programming section. You'll find a link to The Meeting House homepage. You'll find The Media Center where you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. The podcast is also found in The Media Center as well as iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. There's also The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community that is released on a weekly basis. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. Conversations from The Meeting House program can be found through the Faith Radio website as well as through the Faith Radio app and a variety of other platforms. Learn more when you visit The Meeting House homepage at meetinghouseonline.info or through the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.